I never thought the day would actually come when I would be in dress pants and Davin would be in blue jeans. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm wearing next time, don't you? Uh, this morning, I want to uh, dive into a study on the Exodus. Of course, the Exodus is the story of God and how he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, God had great plans for his people. In fact, he said that he would bless the whole world through his people. But before that could happen, they must go through the Exodus first. And so we're going to look at the story of the Exodus. And as I was looking at all the scripture that I needed to read um, in order to cover the story of the Exodus, I thought, man, I'll have to shoot like a seven-minute video just to cover that. But instead, we're going to look at two verses, just two verses, and then we'll summarize the rest of them. So if you will, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. And if you will, stand in honor of God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let Israel go. You may be seated. So we're going to get back to, to these verses in a little bit. But before we get there, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we all have a good grasp of the background of what's happening before we get to these verses. So hundreds of years before, we've got God making his covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham that he would make him a great nation, that he would be the father of many people, and that the entire world would be blessed through his line. But before that would happen, he told him that the people would be in a foreign country for 400 years. But after that, the blessing would come. And of course, then the promise goes down from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, whose name is then changed to Israel and becomes the father of the nation of Israel, who has 12 sons um, who would be the tribes of Israel. And the one son is Joseph, who will get thrown in the pit and sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't worry, God's plan is still moving forward. God is going to use this to save his people because famine is coming and they're going to need to be able to still eat. And so God uses Joseph, who was sold into slavery in Egypt, to rescue his people by bringing them into Egypt so that they could survive. They were in Egypt for a long time. Imagine this. God made a promise that they would be in a foreign country for 400 years. So the people of God are in Egypt for 400 years years. During that time, a new king came into the power who Joseph meant nothing to, the Israelites meant nothing to, and the king was worried because the Israelites were becoming far too numerous. And so he decided to try to oppress them. And so he took and assigned slave masters over the people in order to oppress them. But God's plan is still in action because the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Of course, Pharaoh wasn't going to have any of this, and so he decided we needed to kill some of them off. And so he called the midwives in and said, when you go to deliver a Hebrew baby, let the girls live, but kill all the boys. 
Of course, this plan was to basically do away with the race because eventually all the girls would grow up and they would have to intermarry with the Egyptians and the race would go away. But thankfully, the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And so they did not obey Pharaoh. Instead, they would not kill the little boys. And they lied their way out of it by telling Pharaoh that the Hebrew women are much stronger than the Egyptian women. And by the time we get there, they have already given birth and there was nothing we can do about it. Well, Pharaoh is not going to give up that easy. And so he commands all the people of Egypt, all of them, if you find a little Hebrew boy, throw them in the Nile. Well, God's plan is still at work because people are now starting to wonder, is God going to keep his promise? Is God going to come through for us? Are we going to be in slavery forever? But God's plan is still working. He raises a young boy up by the name of Moses, who he brought through the Nile River into the Egyptian palace, a Hebrew boy raised in an Egyptian palace as God is preparing him for the task that he has for him. As he comes of age, I'm sure he struggled with the identity of being a Hebrew raised in an Egyptian palace, and, and in that struggle, ultimately, he defends the Hebrews by killing an Egyptian slave master. Fearing for his life, he had to run away from Egypt to the wilderness of Midian, in Midian, he married the daughter of a priest where he was a shepherd for 40 years. Again, God was preparing him for the task he had for him. Then we get to the calling of Moses to go back and deliver God's people. And so I want to read a few verses from that calling. So if you will, look with me at Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So I picked this study on Exodus because I don't believe this is an ancient story. I believe this is a story that mirrors our spiritual journey. Our journey in life of following God, of us being freed from a slavery to sin. And so in this passage, as God is calling Moses to go get his people, we see the character of God. The character of God towards his people in Egypt and the character of God towards us. So let's look at these three parts of this verse. First, he says, I have indeed seen the misery of God. God has seen the misery of his people. Second, he is concerned about their suffering. And third, he has come to rescue them. So I believe for us as God's people today, we can look at this and see the character of God in it. And so with whatever you're going through, with whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with in life, know that first, God has seen it. God knows what's going on in your life. He is there and he's concerned about it. He is concerned about the struggles and the misery that you're going through. And third, he has come to rescue you. Your God sees it, he's concerned about it, and he's here to rescue you. So I believe by reading this character of God that we get out of these verses, we understand that now this story is not just about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. It's about God's people being saved. 
And so my challenge for you today is to understand that whatever your current reality is, it does not have to be your forever reality. The people in Israel, the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt, that was their current reality. But God had a plan to get them out of slavery, to get them into the promised land, and to bless all nations. I don't know what you're dealing with, but I believe that God has a plan to get you out of it, to use you for his kingdom and glory, because he has amazing purpose for your life. And so your current reality does not have to be your forever reality. Now we're about to see just how serious God is about getting his people out because Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. These are the verses that we started with. And so I'm going to read them again to remind you. Exodus 5 verses 1 and 2 says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So the question that Pharaoh asks here is, who is the Lord? It's a question of a skeptic, of somebody going, who is the Lord? I don't know him, I'm not gonna do what he says. It's also a question of authority. Pharaoh says, I'm in charge here, I have power, I have authority, I'm gonna do what I want. I'm not going to obey this Lord. Who is he to me? And I think God's response was, I'm glad you asked. Because in the very next chapter, God is making a promise to his people and he says, you are about to see what I'm going to do. You will know that I am God. And so we're about to see what God is about to do, and we're going to know that he is God. And we're going to learn 10 things about his character as we go through the 10 plagues as God frees his people from Egypt. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to pretend that we're an average Joe Egyptian. We're not privileged to what's going on in Pharaoh's court between Moses and Pharaoh. We may have heard that something is going on. Maybe we've heard the guy's name Moses, but we don't know what's really happening. We're just average Joe trying to live a nice, comfortable life on the farm, taking care of our business. And so we're going to pretend as if each plague comes one day right after the other. And so I'm going to go to bed and we'll see what tomorrow morning holds. I don't know about you. Before I go to sleep, I got to have a drink of water. Anybody else? Refreshing. Good night. Good night's rest. Whew. Get that water again. Ooh, what's that? Ooh, it smells like blood. That's weird. Maybe I'll go to the bathroom and get some water. Ooh, that's blood too. 
kitchen? Blood everywhere. What's going on? I just need some water to brush my teeth. And all I can find is blood. We find in this first plague, the Bible tells us that every drop of water in Egypt turned to blood. Of course, it started with the Nile River and spread to every drop of blood in Egypt. Well, in this plague, we understand that the Nile River is the source of water for all of Egypt. It's the source of life in all of Egypt. And and God is attacking their source of life in order to teach them something about himself so that we can learn it again today as well. God is saying, I am the source of life. Well, this plague lasted for seven days. Um, And after seven days, it turned back to water. And so I'm glad that that's over and I can get some good water and a good bath and brush my teeth. And hopefully I can get a good night's rest now that all this is over. Frogs in the bed? Get out of my bed, frog. Where did all these frogs? Oh my goodness, they're everywhere. Get out, frogs. Hundreds, thousands. Oh, where did these frogs come from? They're everywhere in the house. I don't know. What are we going to do? We need help. Maybe Pharaoh can help us. So Pharaoh calls Moses into his court and he says, Moses, we got to get rid of these things. I will. I'll let your people go. And so in this plague, God is attacking one of the gods of Egypt. You see, there was a God in Egypt that had the face of a frog. And this God stood for fruitfulness and success. And so what God is doing here is he's saying, oh, you want success? I'll give you all the worldly success you want. Take it all. And then you get it and I don't know what to do with it. Sound familiar? And so God in this plague is teaching them and he's teaching us that I am better than any worldly success. And so the Bible tells us that the frogs died and and that they were raked into piles that rotted and reaped. I don't know how long that lasts, but at least they're not jumping around in my house anymore. They're not in my bed. I can go back to sleep And maybe I can smell them, but at least they're not in here with me so I can get a good night's rest. Uh, What is gnats? Oh, gnats everywhere. Almost in my mouth. Oh, I hate gnats. Get out of here. Oh, get out of here, gnats. Why are they, gnats everywhere, I don't even know. And so in this plague, there's something interesting because in the first two plagues, Pharaoh was able to call in the magicians and say, can you do this too? And they were able to replicate it. But in this plague, the magicians couldn't replicate it. And so Pharaoh said, where did they come from? And they said, it must have come from God. This gnats were attacking Egyptian culture because Egyptian culture was built on peace and comfort. And I don't know about you, but there's not too many things I can think of that ruin peace like gnats. 
you with me? You're out on the back porch on a nice evening watching the kids play and the gnats swarm in. There is nothing you can do about it. You can't raise your hand up high enough to get them away from your face. You can't spray enough uh, bug spray or light enough candles to get rid of them. They are ruining your peace and comfort. And so God is saying to the Egyptians, I am peace. And without me, there is no peace. Well, the gnats go away. It's been a long day, and I don't want any more of that. I, I wish I knew what was coming in the morning, but maybe, maybe I can just get some peace and comfort tonight. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. Oh, I thought the gnats were bad. These flies are huge. Oh, they're all over my food. That's ruined. Oh, all over my stuff. Oh, why are there so many flies? Where do they come from? Can't we make this stop? And so Pharaoh calls Moses back into the court and says, this is awful. We've got to get rid of this. I'll do whatever it takes. Yes, you can go. Whew. And the flies stop. But there's two things interesting about this plague. First, this is the first of the plagues that God's people don't have to experience, only the Egyptians. And second, this time, even though Pharaoh says, yes, you can go, he tries to compromise his way out of it. Remember, the request was to let my people go into the wilderness to worship me. But Pharaoh says, I would love for you to go worship God. Just do it right over there, not too far away. Go ahead, worship God. And, faith, and Moses goes, that's not going to fly. <laughs> because God is not a God of compromise. God is a God of complete submission. And so in this plague, we understand that God is teaching them and he's teaching us, I am worthy of everything. And so we surrender everything to God. Um, I think some of us can probably relate to this as we have tried, all tried to compromise with God at some point and give some over to him but hold some back. And God wants us to know that he is worthy of complete submission. He is worthy of everything. All right, the flies are gone. The gnats are gone. I hope it's not anything bigger tomorrow because I don't know if I can handle that. I don't want to go to sleep. Guess I have to. I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. Maybe it's all right. Maybe there's nothing going on. Ah! Bessie! Not my favorite cow. What happened, Bessie? Oh, oh no, they're all gone. My, all my livestock, oh no. How did this happen? What could have caused this? Oh, they're all gone in this plague. The livestock was attacked. And this is another attack on an Egyptian god. You see, there was a god with a cow head. 
And that cow head meant protection. And this isn't too far-fetched for us. We understand that when we have things, we feel protected. In their culture, if they had lots of livestock, they felt protected. And so God is taking away their protection because he is the provider of all things. And he is teaching that I am the provider. This is a lesson that maybe some of us need to learn because it's very easy for us to acquire things and to hold on things and to feel protected by the things that we have acquired. And God uh, addresses this again with Jesus and the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, sell everything and come follow me. But the Bible tells us that he walked away sad because he had great wealth. He was believing in his own wealth instead of the provision of God. And so God is teaching us in this plague that I am the provider. Well, even though Pharaoh has lost a lot at this point, his heart is still hard. He is not going to give in. And ultimately, as an Egyptian, that just means I have to endure another night. I don't want to do it. But the sun's down. It's bedtime. I'm scared. I don't want to go to bed. I can't go to sleep because the morning's going to be bad. Is everything okay? I don't see anything. Honey, is everything all right? Look at my skin. Ah, that's awful. Oh, it itches too. They're on you too, baby. Oh no, boils everywhere. They hurt, they don't scratch them. I gotta scratch them. They're awful and so there's boils. They're painful, they're all over. And the interesting thing about this plague is that God tells Moses to take the ash from the kilns, the very kilns where they used to make the bricks that Pharaoh made them use, and to take that ash into Pharaoh's court and throw it into the air. And as it turns to dust and dissipates, it causes the boils all over the skin of the Egyptians. And in this we're understanding that the very thing that oppressed God's people is now the thing being thrown in the enemy's face. And I think some of us may need to hear that today. There's something in your life that's holding you back, oppressing you, keeping you from being who God called you to be. And today, by the power of the spirit that lives inside of you, you need to take that and throw it in the enemy's face. Because the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is greater than anything in this world. He's greater than the evil one. And so you have power to overcome it. So what God is doing here is he is taking the judge of Pharaoh who judged the Israelites into slavery. And he's taking that and throwing it back in his face and saying, you're not the true and righteous judge. I am the true and righteous judge. So the boils go away. 
which is good news for me. But I still got a few more nights. So Pharaoh won't let the people go and we're starting to, to get worried as Egyptians that there's not much left. And I don't know what is going to happen next. What's that? What's that noise? Uh, hell! Oh, it's everywhere! Oh no, it's not only hell, it's fire coming from the sky! Oh, my chariot, it's destroyed! Oh, my plow! What a family! Is everybody okay? Are we all inside? Yeah, okay, everybody's good. And so Pharaoh knows this has to stop. We can't survive this much longer. So he calls Moses in and he says, Moses, you got to make it stop. I'll do whatever it takes. Yes, 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 you can go. Whew. And so the hell ends. But this time before it started, God issued a warning. He told Pharaoh and the Egyptians what was about to happen. And the people that feared God, they moved their family to safety. The people that didn't fear God were subject to the hell. So in this plague, God was kind, even to the Egyptians, because he showed them a way out. And so some of you need that word today that, that God is kind to you, that he is gracious to you, and that he offers a way out. So some of you may be thinking about doing something that you know you shouldn't, and God's saying, there's a way out, take it. Some of you may be dealing with a difficult time and a struggle, and God is saying, there's a way out. I'll be there for you. Some of you may be contemplating a sin. Don't do it. There's a way out. And so God, in his kindness, gave the Egyptians a way out, and he is showing that I am kind enough to provide a way out. But since Pharaoh didn't fear God and he won't give in, back to bed. It's going to be bad. Ugh. Locusts, oh, I hate these things. They're ugly, they're gross. Oh, they're so freaky and they're eating everything. Oh, all I had was a little crops. Now they're eating it all gone. And so Pharaoh knows that if this lasts, there'll be nothing in all of Egypt. And so he calls Moses in and says, make them go away. They've got to go away before they eat everything. And I will let your people go. Whew. And so there is nothing green left. In Egypt, all the crops that they were holding on to as their final and last source of life, God takes it away. You know, God told us in the first plague that he's the source of life, but sometimes we're stubborn. Sometimes we hold on to things. Sometimes we don't learn a lesson the first time, and God may have to teach us again. And in this case, God takes the last little bit of provision Away, and he says, I'm the only source of life. And so the locusts are gone, but there's really not much left. 
So I don't know how it could get any worse. We have lost everything. Off to bed. What's going on? What time is it? Why is it still dark outside? Yeah, it's morning already, but the sun's not up. The Bible tells us that it's a darkness so dark you can feel it. Don't know exactly what that means, but a lot of people believe that that is communicating that there would be no artificial light, no man-made light, fire, candles, that they could not see anything. This lasted for three days. No light for three days. This was attack on one of the most powerful gods in Egypt. The god's name was Ra. It was the sun god. And so for three days, the people of Egypt would have prayed to their god who could do nothing because the sun did not come up, the moon did not shine, and God was teaching them and teaching us that I am the light of the world. So in this, we understand the concept of common grace. You see, the light shines on all of us every single day, whether we're saved or not. Shined on them every day, whether they were Hebrew, Israelites, God's chosen people, or Egyptians. Until this plague hit. When this plague hit, the people that did not believe in God were left in darkness. But God's people were still in light. And so common grace is a concept that we live under each and every day that everything good comes from God. Whether you're a believer or not, everything good comes from God. It's the idea of common grace. But God is teaching that I am the light of the world and without me there is no light. And he can take his grace away, common grace away, at any time. But I'm glad the lights are back up. It's been three days and I guess it's time for bed. I'm not really tired. Pretty much slept for three days. But who knows what tomorrow brings, so I better try. What's going on? Who is that? What's happening? What's going on? Honey, honey, what's happening? Are you okay? Where's the kids? Girls, you fine? Yep, girls. Oh, my son. Are you okay? Oh, he's dead. My firstborn and every firstborn from Pharaoh's house all the way down to the prisoners lost their firstborn. Pharaoh summons Moses in the middle of the night and says, get out. Take everything with you and just get out. So God's people scrambled and and got out of Egypt. And God is teaching them and he's teaching us 
I will protect my people. Because you see, God made a way for his people to avoid this plague. They were instructed to take a lamb into their house several days ahead of time. And everybody were to sacrifice the lamb on that night, take the blood and paint it on the doorpost. And when the death angel came and he saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over and no one in that house was injured. But when he got to the Egyptians' houses, every firstborn was killed. God made a way through the sacrifice of a lamb. How interesting. He says, I will protect my people. So in these 10 plagues, we have learned several things about the character of God. Let me recap them for your memory. We've learned that God is the source of life, that God is better than any worldly success, that he is peace, that he is worthy of everything, that he is the provider, that he is the righteous judge, that he is kind, that he is the only source of life that he is the light of the world, and that he will protect his people. You see, he, he protects his people because he's made a covenant with them, because he has to deliver them so he can fulfill the promise he's, he's had with them. And so he is serious about delivering his people. He's serious about getting them out of slavery. And so even though it came at a high price, he was going to deliver his people. You see, the Egyptians... I don't believe that they had a problem with the existence of God. They had lots of gods. What's another God? They had a problem with the authority of God. That's what Pharaoh said. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He had a problem with obeying the Lord. And so I think we maybe fall into that category some today as well. We love the existence of God, the salvation of God, the love of God, the blessings of God. But sometimes we push back at the authority of God and being obedient to what he says. And so as we look at this story of the Exodus, I think we see our own spiritual journey unfold. And many of us are in different spots in our spiritual journey, but somewhere in here you may find yourself that first the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And some of us are still slaves to sin. The Israelites needed to be rescued because they could do nothing on their own. And before Christ, all of us needed to be rescued because we could do nothing on our own. The Israelites were saved by the blood of a lamb and we are saved by the blood of the lamb. And God has big plans for his people plans to bring them through the exodus, to deliver them to the promised land, and ultimately to bless the entire world through them. And I believe that God has big plans for you. Each and every one of you, God desires to use you for his kingdom, to use you for his glory, and he has plans for you. I can't tell you what your exact plan is, but I know this, it includes God. It includes you knowing who God is, learning about his character, spending time with him, being in prayer with him, and worshiping him. And when you do those things, then I believe God will reveal his specific plan to you. And I pray that when he does, you will be ready 
to submit to the authority of God and let him be Lord. But I issue a warning. God's not the only one that has a plan for your life. (laughs) Satan does too. And he's not very secretive. I can tell you exactly what his plan is. Anything but God. That's his plan. To distract you, to get you off track, and get you to do anything but God's plan for your life. So as I conclude, I have two questions. The first one is this. Whose plans are you following? In your life, whose plans are you following? You have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now God has a plan for your life. Are you following that plan? Or are you being distracted by the plan of the enemy? Let's look at your week, this week. Just evaluate what you did for the last seven days. I'm sure for most of you, it was a normal week. You got up, you ate three meals a day, drove back and forth to whatever your job is. You took care of the kids, you cleaned the house, you cut the grass or whatever responsibilities you had. Now ask yourself, how much dedicated time did you give to God this week? How much dedicated time did you give to God this week? Some of you may be sitting there with a big number in your head and you killed it this week. Praise God for that. But most of us, if we're honest, it was probably very little. That was the enemy's plan. Anything but God. That may be why some of you lived this week in worry about something all week. That may be why some of us lived this week in anger over stuff. That may be why some of us lived in guilt all week long is because we're following the wrong plan. But God has a better plan for you. That while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And so yes, God sent his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life on this earth, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, to raise from the dead, to defeat sin and death, to ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God so that he could send the spirit to live inside of you so that you could defeat this world and the enemy that is trying to distract you. That's the plan that God has initiated so that you have power over the evil one. But we don't always live like that. How silly if God had gone through all the plagues, all the opportunities, and Pharaoh says, get out, and the Israelites go, kind of like it here. Silly, right? But some of us live like that. We live like slaves when we should be living like free people. So I challenge you. Whose plan did you follow this week? Embrace the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and live like free people and follow God's plan for your life. Second question. We end where we started. Who is the Lord? Pharaoh asked it with skepticism. Pharaoh asked it with authority issues. But I ask it with a sincere heart. Who is the Lord to you? Is the Lord the Lord of your life? Have you accepted him as your savior to forgive your sins so that you can spend eternity in heaven? Have you accepted him as Lord and accepted his authority in his life and whatever he asks you to do, you're willing to do? Who is the Lord to you? As we conclude, you have to ask that question to yourself. Who is the Lord to me? 
And so as the invitation starts and you ponder the question, I ask you to respond. If you have never accepted Jesus as your savior, come forward, talk to one of the pastors. Let's make sure that you have accepted Jesus as your savior. If you've never acknowledged him as Lord today, let's get it right. And you can come to the altar and pray to the Father that hears you and say, today I submit to your Lordship. I submit to following your plan. Whatever it is, wherever it takes me, I submit to your Lordship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us about you and your character. And God, I pray that today, as we consider who you are in our lives, that each and every one of us would be honest with ourselves about how we live our lives and what plan we're following. And if we don't have it right, today we would say, I want you to be my Lord. I want to submit to your authority. I want to follow you with my life. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.